0: Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the mix zone women's soccer podcast. This is episode number 312. With that number, we're going to give a shout out to Washington spirit player, Tori Houston, who has played a grand total of 12,312 minutes across all NWSL competitions. That means every regular season, a few playoff games and the challenge cup last summer. Only five players have played more total minutes in NWSL than Tori Houston, And she is one of a very short list of players who are still with the same NWSL club that they started with back in 2013. And I'll let you guys think to yourselves about who's on that list. Meanwhile two chats today with the same person, so it's a two-part chat with my friend Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. In the first part, we talk about the upcoming NWSL draft, the rule changes for this draft. Um, It's going to be a pretty wacky draft. And then in the second chat, we talk about uh, recent NWSL trades, uh, including some that have affected the draft. Also, the U.S. women's national team roster for the January camp that just kicked off and will end with two friendlies against Columbia. In between those two chats, you've got a Blainer segment on the updated draft rules for this week's draft broadcast. You can watch the draft Wednesday, January 13th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Kicks off live on Twitch. You can watch that anywhere in the world for free and i highly recommend you also check out my draft resources at keepernotes.com i've got a draft worksheet um, the history of the draft uh, a list of you know what what teams are looking for lots of great stuff so check out keepernotes.com don't forget to follow me at keepernotes and also at mixzone with two x's and enjoy my chat with dan laletta All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer, uh, my favorite partner in crime, or rather partner in in being cranky about women's soccer, sometimes also positive about women's soccer, right? Dan, we're not always cranky, are we?
1: Happy New Year to you too, Jen. <laughs> um, no, not always, but most of the time.
0: And, and we mean it in a good way, right? Like, it's not like everything sucks it's it's more the angle of we want things to be better because it deserves to be better
1: exactly. you know it'd be interesting i don't know when the first time i was on your show was or first time i was allowed to get cranky on here but i would be interested to go back and listen to that first one <laughs> <And> what <laughs> what were the things we that we wanted to happen and how many of them have actually happened
2: Cause yes. it's Like we've
1: come such a long way but, but we're not making up any ground kind of what it feels like sometimes
0: Well, I was, I was just thinking yesterday, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's been seven years since the dash was announced and that seven years seems to have gone by pretty quickly. Right. And, and you, and you flash back to where the league was uh, at the end of that first season to, you know, suddenly be adding an expansion team and, um, you know, still so much ahead of it and how low those minimum salaries were and, you know, minuscule high school stadium. So, you know, on a lot of levels, we all know it's come a long way, but I feel like now we're making that difficult like elementary school to junior high transition, right? Where suddenly we have to figure out um, what you do when you don't have every class in the same room and you have to Hi. do a locker and maybe you're, you know, biking home by yourself instead of having your mom pick you up. So yeah, we're, you know, we're we're in a very transitional time separate from the really wacky time that uh, you know COVID is creating. So we've got this draft coming up next week, Dan, and for the first time it's going to be virtual in that the all 10 teams will be at their home places, right? Uh, they'll, I guess they'll all have a war room somewhere in their offices and all zoom calling into the league. And then also our broadcast um, set up at the studios in Florida. So you won't have a real live draft floor, right? You you can't really have somebody walking around making a last minute, uh, trade. I guess that'll, you know, it'll all be on the phone. Um, you know, you won't have that environment that we've really seen take place the last couple of years take shape where, you know, players are there to get to be named, to go up on stage and get a scarf and have people cheer for them. Right. Um, so it really I, is, it I don't really know what is a expect. Great event. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the last couple of either. years have been so much
1: fun. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if this would have come to pass in Anaheim. Cause Anaheim's not as close to Los Angeles as some of us East Coast people sometimes think. But the draft in Los Angeles was probably the best draft ever because the national team camp was yes. nearby, and the U23 camp had just concluded or maybe was concluding. And I think the entire first round of that draft was actually present. And, you know, the league has done a better job of getting players on hand for the draft who are going to be there, and I think players also are making it more of a priority to be there on their own. But that's easier on the East Coast, you know, the Northeast Corridor uh, but obviously, if you're in camp, and I mean, go through all the picks, you know, I remember going back to Sidney LaRue getting picked in WPS, and uh, as a number one pick, but she was in camp, and Tierna Davidson was in camp, and Andy Sullivan was in camp, and Emily Sana was in camp. So you don't have these players there, but they, you know, Rose Lavelle was there in LA, and I'm pretty sure she was in camp with the national team at the time, and, you know, they were able to organized the national team schedule around it. So I think that might've happened again in Anaheim where we were supposed to be for this year's draft, but this is going to be a weird one. You know, the first year to 2013, when they had the draft, I think it was in Indianapolis. I was not there, but I know people who were there and if I want to get them cranky, I can remind them about it because the media was apparently in a side room and they were getting the pics on social media before they were getting the picks from inside the building. So they were like, so we flew all the way to Indianapolis for this access. There were no players, and we were getting the picks off Twitter before they were actually telling (laughs) us the picks. So, you know, and that, of course, was thrown together very quickly and whatnot.
0: Well, and, hey, you were right about 2017. All, All of the first round was there. And so many of the picks were there. I remember hearing from uh, the shuttle driver for the U.S. youth players, uh, you know, because they were doing their camp with the senior camp where they had to stay longer. Uh, because the players were still there. Some waiting didn't get picked and they all wanted to watch, right? They, they thought they would just be there like 90 minutes and they ended up, I think being there like three hours, but no, it was so nice to have that ambiance, right. Where people cared who was going in the second, third, and even fourth rounds. Um, and I would say once we got to 2019, which the, the first draft where it was in one of the franchise cities, you know, in Chicago, and they had the number one pick, right so so local 134 really turned out that day and just it, it made it really fun right i i still feel like you know when we go back to having an in person draft the, the league needs to do a better job of letting fans know you can come it's free You know, anybody can just go in and be there. Right. Um, And and it's it's kind of fun to see it. And just just to be part of that convention, the United um, Soccer Coaches Convention, I'm going to miss that being an in-person event this year, because that's really, you know, not just for us in media, but coaches, anyone involved in soccer operationally or retail or whatever, um, it's kind of the one time where all those ple- people are in the same place at the same time. So you're walking through this convention center. It's like, Oh, well, you know, there's Megan Rapino and uh, there's, yeah, exactly. you know, this former player from the NWSL who now does this. And, you know, like I, I thought it was so cool to meet so many former NWSL players and then, you know, all the coaches and everybody seems to know everybody. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So this is going to be a really interesting not just draft in terms of who gets picked, but also production on Wednesday, because our studio will be in Florida, you got the league office, you know doing their thing, and then you've got the ten <laughs> franchises doing their thing. and of course, then people getting picked, um, hopefully being able to zoom in um, to to say say some yeah, words. The, so
1: the convention is the convention is awesome, and what people should re- realize about the convention when it returns, hopefully next year. Is that you You can register and it's kind of expensive, but you don't, it's really not that many areas that you need to be registered to get to. Like you said, the draft is free. I mean, you can't go on the convention floor, you can wander around the convention center and mill around with soccer luminaries, women and men as
2: well. Yeah.
1: So, I yeah. mean, it's, a, it's a ton of fun. I didn't realize when I went to my first one was, I think, 2010, which was that famous wps draft which by the way was very well attended by both players and fans i don't know i don't remember what the if there was a national team camp or if just none of the people picked were there um i want to say tobin heath was not i don't remember if tobin was there or not but
2: you know i didn't realize what a great
1: event it was yeah she was number one no harrah was there and cheney was there and uh You know, Alyssa Nair was in that draft and she was there. And the whole first round wasn't there, but a a lot of them were certainly there. So, yeah, the convention is is outstanding. And this might be the first time that it's a good thing that the league only has 10 teams. Because imagine if you were doing this with like a 30-team league and trying (laughs) to do it all virtually. You know, and I've talked to a few coaches about the trades and whether they think – There'll be more or less or earlier or what have you. And there have already been a decent number of trades. I would say off the top of my head, a few more than usual to this point. Um, but, you know, and they all say that there's still talk going on and they expect more moves. But that some of the smaller moves, you know, when like we're sitting there at the draft and like, ooh, Rory Dames is at the Thorns table. What does that mean? Um, and then the thorns call timeout, and you start to wonder, like, what's the trade going to be? And then it winds up not happening. But, you know, those little conversations, you know, or the conversations over a, over drinks the night before where, you know, some passing comment can lead to some big development going down, uh, those things might not be happening. But I still think there will be significant numbers uh, of moves.
0: And I feel like most of them will play out before the draft actually kicks off. And it, it's kind of nice that for the first time, the draft will be an evening event since it's not part of the convention they were able to do in the evening. So you've got kind of that whole work day, right, for them to hash things out, as opposed to we've generally had a morning draft. Um,
1: and and I think also a lot of it, the time, even even when we hear about them during the draft, they've been they've been oh, done right. ahead right. of time. Right.
0: But also with, uh, you know, the rule change that, you know, anyone who's completed their eligibility is eligible to be drafted, even if they didn't declare kind of, you know, throws throws a rock in the pond. Right. Endless ripples coming from, coming from this rock. And so a lot of players, a lot of coaches are having to think, well, I could take this player who's going to be really great, but I don't know if I'm going to have her this year, this summer, this fall, next spring or ever. Right, So I, I feel like there could be uh, less of a willingness to trade picks because you don't know with as much confidence if you're going to ha- see that pick in your camp this year, unless maybe you're talking about the top rent, right?
1: Um, yeah, somebody told me that the more trades you see with picks, the more confidence that the coaches have about what's going to happen.
0: Right players,
1: and I guess we should talk about this new rule because you know they can spin it however they want. But draft registration was low, and I think you know, in, in part, and understandably. I, I mean, we, understandably, understandably, but but we've talked about this for a long time. You, we've the deadline has to be way sooner than what it is. I don't know what the deadline is, but uh, was it? Andy Sullivan, where we didn't like literally know, and like two days before the draft, maybe Tyrone Davidson, also one of the other, maybe both. Like, and and there's, and there's no right. reason for them to declare any sooner. And as I've said before, you know, if I have a deadline of Monday, you know, maybe I'll do it Sunday, you know, probably Monday morning. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's so.
0: deadlines are for. Well, this is the first year they moved up the deadline. So it's actually Monday night for the Wednesday night draft as opposed
1: to. Oh, wow. That's a long, long window there.
0: As opposed to Tuesday night for the Wednesday morning draft as it's been in in the past, but you still have a good point. Like, right. You know, we we need to know sooner um, for the coaches for the prep, for for everything, right? For media, you want to be able to release, hey, these are the people that have declared. And of course, this year, with NCAA saying, hey, those of you that didn't get to play this year, or even if you did, if you want to, you know, you're given a waiver to extend your eligibility because you know they're not getting able to play NCAA championship till the spring, and you know that's I have to say would still be a question mark. So there are a lot of players that are probably going to want to get another season under their belt unless there's something else, you know, in their future, close up that like, Hey, no, it would make sense for me to go pro now. Right. Um, And we have to remember too, just having that extra year of eligibility doesn't mean you have an extra year uh, that's paid for. Um, If you're only on a half scholarship, that means you still got to come up with that other half. Right. Um, And you still have to be enrolled and taking X number of hours. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of rules that come with it. So there are people where it's like, you know, it it doesn't make sense for me. I don't have that money to stay in school. I'm, you know, I'm ready to go pro. Um, But what we don't get to know again, because that that registration deadline's kind of late and now you don't even have to register is well, who is intending to do what so it's going to make wednesday just chock full of surprises which is i guess all the more reason to watch
1: yeah i suppose it is you know hopefully we'll get to a point where it's a no-brainer to register right nobody ahead of the nba and the nfl drafts as well they're gonna you know uh, whether well, you're underclassing going to come out early yes like in the case of trevor lawrence but nobody doubts that trevor lawrence is going to play in the nfl because that's you know if you're you can play in the NFL, you play in the NFL for the most part, right? Same in the NBA, and it's not quite the same. That's partly because of the money and partly because of the European option. I wonder if the players who are going to be somewhere between players 18 and 25, 26 on the roster, and what I mean by 25, 26, is players who just kind of hang around as reserve players. For a long time, it was hard to get those players in because there wasn't enough money in it. And now I think it might be difficult to get those players in because you have to make a decision here. Do you want to spend a year in COVID protocols to maybe be on a roster, to maybe get on a game day roster during the Olympics, to maybe get in a game or two here and there and realize that the likelihood is that, you know, your career is a year or two or three, or maybe you go somewhere in Europe and play in front of even less people and you know if you're in France and you're not in Lyon or PSG you get blown out by those teams all the time or do you just say you know what I've got a nice degree it's just not worth it for me to go and do that and uh you know I think the coaches really have their work cut out for them to figure out who wants to play who intends to play and then you know there I guess there's the loophole where a team could be like well I don't really want to go to this city so I'll just wait it out and then I'll sign as a discovery player. Now I have to be pretty good in order to pull that off. Right. I mean, that's what happened right. with Casey, Casey Murphy, not, not exactly for that reason, but she had already signed in France and we speculate that maybe sky blue didn't realize that the rule had changed. And once she, uh, you know, once sky blue lost her right, she signed on as a trialist with the rain and then, you know, they lost their two keepers in pretty sure order and she's been the starter ever since. And then now got traded, but, um, She's in North Carolina, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I think you'll see the teams go even more localized, kind of like the Rory Dames, um, you know, template, where you know after the top picks, he takes local players that he thinks will stay around and and that he can develop. Um, but you know, uh, one of the coaches told me that the new New column in the spreadsheet this year is timeline, meaning when might this player show up 2021, <laughs> you know, May of 2021, 2022 or May of 2022, because if they're, you know, if they're going back to school for the full year, then that can spill over into May. There's also, right. by the way, some talk, some of the U20 players are going to come out into this draft. Now they do have to register because they're not seniors, So they're not automatically eligible. Cause don't forget, I think last year was the first year. You don't even have to be a senior. You, as long as you're out of high school, you can declare for this thing. So it's going to be a very, very unusual draft. And the drafts have been getting more unusual cause it's been harder to get roster spots. Uh, theoretically it gets a little easier now with the 10th team, but you know, the tops of the drafts have not been producing, uh, as many impact players as quickly as the as the first half of the existence of this league have. Or, yeah.
0: Right, it's it is harder to make rosters, and also when we look at the last three drafts, uh, you look at 2018. You know, I feel like they get an extra couple of years to be judged because. Because since Boston folded just a couple weeks after that draft, the Boston roster got picked up by all the other teams. So you saw almost no rookies make 2018 squads. So, you know, those rookies ended up not really seeing time until 2019 and afterwards. 2019 was pretty close to normal, and we finally saw roster size increase from minimum 18 to minimum 20 maximum 22 plus four supplemental players so finally you had really developmental slots right so that you know those players are going to take time to develop you've got the space farm 2020 again huge asterisk where you know who knows how strong that class is going to look in hindsight we only got to see some of them in challenge cup some of them in fall series You know, so uh, to me, it's less about, you know, is this a strong class? Is this a weak class, especially when it's no longer specific to a class? But, you know, what are their opportunities? What can coaches do with them? And I also think, you know, with Louisville on board, so we're back to 10 teams, also knowing that we've got 11, very likely 12 teams for 2022, which means, you know, there's another 52 roster spots right there, right? That's another eight draft picks. That's huge. So I feel like some of the drafting this year, like last year could be with expansion in mind, especially when, you know, we're going to be going through a double expansion draft. If we have two teams, Um, you know, that, okay, maybe this isn't a player that I'm going to have time to develop, but this will be a player whose rights will be valuable to either protect or to trade, you know, or would be the perfect person to not protect, but then they're taken from my roster and I didn't lose as much because she hadn't played with us. You know, like there's all those variables to consider. So I I kind of envision sometimes like an individual coach having a lair at home, just like, you know, this dark little place, but with all these computer screens and lists, you know, what about this? And, Oh, I need to check this. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not as straightforward as, okay, who's the best players? I want those players, right? It's like you were saying, it's that new column of of when are they available? Um, are they choosing to stick stateside? Because we have seen some dramatic growth in Europe, but I still think it's a little bit overblown in terms of there's only a limited number of clubs and within those clubs, only so many spots that are going to pay you the big bucks, Right. I also feel like we still um, think, oh, well, that player played a year in Europe, so she must be really good. It's like, well, it depends. Who was she playing against?
2: How did
1: she do? Which league? Someone someone gave me an interesting perspective, though, that if you are a player who is going to be like a third or fourth round pick or maybe an undrafted player that can hang with a team, and if you think that realistically that your career will be, say, two to four years, and that you're probably not ever going to get a look from the national team. You have to make a decision about what you want to do with those two to four years. And yes. some players may consciously decide, you know what, I don't want to fight for a roster spot in the NWSL. I would rather go play in Cyprus, or I'd rather go play in the middle or bottom of the French League, where, you know what, I might not you know, I might not get the glory, I might lose 9-0 to Lyon, but I'm going to be there, and for the couple of years that I have this career, I'm going to play I'm going to get to see parts of Europe and yeah, I'm going to have a perspective I never thought of before.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we've even seen that in the past with, uh, you know, American players before MLS, you know, really found it its footing of like, well, you know, national team's not looking at me. So why don't I go spend a couple of years in Europe?
1: Um, yep, absolutely. and, it's, and if especially, you can get better. That's great. But you know, if,
0: and as the infrastructure's gotten better, knowing that they're, they're not just, you know, they're not just at a, you know, a club that's treating them crappily. I mean, like I think about the stories, was it Daniel Foxhoven, uh, yep. you know, in the book Under the Lights in the Dark, you know, just having a very bizarre experience with that, that Russian club. Um, but so much, so much more resources being put into women's soccer so I I think it it might be a thrill too to be part of something new you think about the the players that are part of the first women's Real Madrid squad you know or the first Manchester United squad um, or like I I mean I think too Samantha Mewis you know getting to help Man City win the FA Cup right like that's that's a famous competition and be like wow I played in that I helped win that you know the just Absolutely. different experiences
1: another factor that'll add to the weirdness about this draft is that you know 2020 i'm not going to say that it didn't happen because it happened and you know the dash got their <laughs> trophy and the the thorns got their like mini trophy but is how much continuity is there roster wise from 2019 to 2021 even if you have most of the same players like, did you, was there enough soccer played in 2020 that you can say, well, we developed this or we did that. So I don't know. I almost feel like everybody's starting from scratch on some level. Like, yeah, the rosters are going to be different in terms of talent talent level, but I almost feel like some of what has been built in places like North Carolina And Portland and Chicago might be neutralized a little bit by the fact that there just wasn't a whole lot of soccer being played in 2020. And, you know, you look at, you know, like Megan Rapinoe didn't play at all. Carly Lloyd didn't play at all. You know, other players weren't there very much. So it's, you know, it's going to be hard to pick up where teams left off. And I think it's pretty clear at this point that the courage, I expect them to still be competitive, but they are no longer – Head and shoulders, the best team in this league, at least on paper. So there's going to be some opportunity there. Uh, So really interesting to see which teams can pick up and start playing well quickly as opposed to, you know, because I I don't think we're coming out of the box with North Carolina winning, you know, seven in a row or whatever it is.
0: No, that's a really good point. Um, You know, they've lost, I think, at least half of their starting lineup since the 2019 final and when you look at how consistent their roster had been for the the previous three years that's that's a stunning
1: and remember when the Uh, remember when the rain had their two straight shields and they got upset in the final both years by kansas city and then the next year uh you know they lost that home opener to sky blue and they wound up missing the playoffs and the underrated player on that team who retired who, ironically enough, is back in the league? But Stephanie Cox was the left back, and uh-huh. you know, they had lost. They, they didn't lose. They didn't lose Kim Little right away, but they lost some other key players, and it was yeah. clear they weren't going to be as good. But they were a little bit worse than we thought. Keelan Winters retired. Sorry, sorry say it again. Keelan
0: Winters retired from that squad. Yeah, Keelan the- Winters
1: retired, and Cox retired, and maybe one other player. But anyway, Jaylene Hinkle, Daniels. That is a much bigger loss for the Curves than anybody wants to probably admit at this point. I mean, you t- talk about like an all-world solid left back who could get forward, probably had the best left-footed service this side of Megan Rapinoe. Maybe even better, more consistent anyway, than Megan Rapinoe in the league. I don't think that that is a really, really difficult loss to overcome. You know, Muis obviously is tremendous and may or may not be back. Dunn got moved on and they brought in some other players, but I think they are going to really miss Jaylene Daniels as their left back.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think it's important too. you got to look at each club, uh, you know, roster by roster because uh, some are wildly different from end of 2019 or even from challenge cup. Um, and, and some, a few have, have remained kind of stable. Um it, of course, 2020 was an interesting year, but I'm so glad that we had the fall series to follow Challenge Cup, so that you had more more practice, more games, more chance to to test players, and and you see stuff like okay, North Carolina signing Riley Vasden and Havana Salon because they were able to test them in real games in the fall series.
1: Yeah, it, you know, again, it would be nice if we could have some sort—I don't know about a fall series, but uh, you know, they're doing the Challenge Cup again. I would like to see in future years the Challenge Cup work more like the Open Cup, so you could, you know, intersperse the games a little bit here and there. Yeah. Obviously, there's a good reason why they're doing it the way they're doing it this year. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, it would be nice to have more opportunities to to develop these these players because, yeah, you're going to – like. I think we've mentioned this before, but you're going to have someone and then we're going to look back in five years and say, hey, remember the fall series when that player was discovered or, hey, remember we thought after the fall series that player would be great and it hasn't worked out. No yeah, or
0: you know, down the line, women's Concacaf Champions League. Uh, you know, I remember yes. Dynamo, Dynamo early on. They would always use Concacaf competition for their players that weren't getting minutes in MLS, right? They they just didn't rate it as highly. But it's like, hey, here's a way to test that player, you know? And and we need more opportunities for teams to test players. Um, well, Dan, let's Absolutely. take let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about some of the recent trades, and we'll also talk a little bit about the U.S. Women's National Team roster that was just announced for January camp. Time for a little Gensplaining. And this week's topic is, of course, the draft and some of the rule changes for the NWSL draft. Now, originally for the college draft, only players who had exhausted their college eligibility could enter the draft, and players had to declare for the draft if you wanted to be eligible for that season of NWSL. Now, the league set up the rule about requiring registration so that players couldn't skip the draft and then negotiate only with the clubs that they wanted to go to. Starting with 2019, The league made one change. Uh, They allowed for players to leave college soccer early. You still needed to declare, but you could leave college soccer early. Tiana Davidson, the number one overall pick that year, selected by Chicago, was the first to take advantage of that rule, leaving Stanford after just three seasons. So it's informally called the Davidson Rule. And in 2020, Sophia Smith, also from Stanford, and Ashley Sanchez from UCLA followed Davidson's lead and left college soccer early for NWSL. this year's draft, due to COVID-19, will be pretty different (laughs) from previous drafts. First, not every conference played women's soccer last fall. Also, NCAA has rescheduled their national championship for this April, May, and also given players the option of sticking around for fall 2021 if they missed out, uh, you know, last fall. So with players having more options, and of course, many not sure what they want to do yet, of course, it's an Olympic year and... COVID uh, this year the league is allowing clubs to draft players who have not registered for the draft regardless of when that player would be able to join the club or if she's even indicated um, that she's interested in N N B U cell but a key rule to remember if a player has not declared for the draft she can only be drafted if she's completed at least three se- seasons of her eligibility. Right. So there, you can't go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the young ones cause I can, it, it still has to be the players that would be coming out of college naturally. Um, also a team cannot draft a player who has signed a pro contract outside of NWSL. Um, once you're a pro player, even if you just come out of college, then you would go the discovery route or free agent route. So it's going to be kind of wacky Wednesday. Hopefully me and my co-hosts on the broadcast will help you all get through it. Uh, Broadcast kicks off Wednesday, January 13th, 7pm Eastern, live on Twitch. Hope to see everybody there. And we're back, Jen Cooper and Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer, after having a couple of beers, a couple of uh <laughs> shops of whiskey, you know, to celebrate not enough. to celebrate Louisville's entrance into or it's, it's and it's Louisville, I was taught. Not Louisville. Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Or if you're if you're really from Kentucky, it's like Roaville. but <laughs> um but hey, you know, I'm from a place where a lot of people say yeast <laughs> well, in
2: so,
1: remember. I remember, remember my what? first time. I remember my first time visiting New Orleans.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I I I crack up anytime on the news when when they say New Orleans or New
2: Orleans yeah. and I'm
0: like, come on, it's New Orleans. But okay, so we've had some trades since the first of the year. Um I'm kind of merging them all in my head of like the ones that happened right before Christmas. But so we we had what, Sonnet to Washington, Kelly O'Hara to Washington. More recently, uh, Ziara King um, to the Rain instead of going with Kansas City, and then Darian Jenkins to Kansas City. Who else, who else am I missing? Casey Murphy to North Carolina.
1: Yeah, that uh, was way before the first of the year, but oh, Pew, yeah, and Pew and Waldmo of the Red Stars is the big one, I think.
0: And that one, I think Chicago, Dan, they made out like a bandit. I mean, you get a national... Play- national team player who we have not seen the best of Mallory Pugh and NWSL. And she's still so young. There's so much ahead of her. And then Sarah Waldmo who captain all time minutes leader for sky blue. Um, I don't think she gets as much credit as she's due and, and they don't give up any players to get them. Now sky blue gets just picks in an international slot. It's bizarre.
1: It's an unusual trade. And let's break it down a little bit. First of all, according to Sky Blue, Waldmo wanted to go "quote unquote" home after she got married. I guess twenty nineteen, twenty twenty off season,
2: uh-huh.
1: and they and they accommodated that. And you know, I mean, we've talked about our feelings on that. But if it, you know, if it works out for all parties, then that's great. Pew played what thirty three minutes, I think, for Sky Blue. She got into that yeah. one game in the fall series and was great, and then got hurt didn't play anymore and there were some you know mutterings that she maybe would have preferred to be elsewhere so and and, you know when it's kind of like when pew left washington like she barely played so big deal you're not missing her it's a matter of maybe what you're going to get from from that move so it's an unusual deal Again, because Sky Blue needs players. You know, there's no doubt that Sky Blue took a lot of steps forward in two thousand twenty. Yeah. But the notion that they are contenders to finish near the top of the table to me is a little bit too much at this point. And especially, you know, they lost Woldmo, they lost Pew, and granted, you know, Pew barely played, so you know, you can take her out of what they did in twenty twenty. But they also lost Jennifer Kudjo to the expansion draft. They haven't really brought players in now they have three first round picks um there's some doubt that they're going to use them all but we'll see what happens but are there you know are they going to be three players they're going to help them contend right away Uh, you know i'm not sure about that we'll have to see but i think they need to be bringing players in and not shipping players out now the red stars usually are acquiring draft picks not trading draft picks, but at the same time you acquire draft picks sometimes as quote unquote assets, and then you trade them for something else. Now I think Waldmo, um, I agree in a sense that she's overlooked, but I think there's also uh, a group of pro Sarah Waldmo should have been given a look at the national team level and I'm not quite there, but I think if you put her in a good midfield, she can be outstanding. And then, you know, you talk about Pew, and she's only 22; feels like she's 35.
0: I know if that's she, the kind of thing that people are like. Oh, Pew's not going to make it. Like she just turned 22.
2: But I,
1: <laughs> but it is valid that she hasn't been able to be healthy. And if you're not able right. to be healthy by 22, what are the odds that you're going to be able to be healthy? You know, when you're 30, 31, 32. Now, I'll give you a good example, taking it to another sport of someone that was chronically injured early in their career. And not anymore, and that's Steph Curry. You know, he just broke his hand, but that was more of a freak thing when he fell down. But he had ankle issues first couple of years of his career. He figured it out, and he's been pretty healthy on his ankles in the last, like, six or seven years. So maybe Mallory Pugh figure something out. I think, again, being on a better team, although the Red Stars have issues scoring goals, so they will look for her to that. I think being on a better team will help. And I still think... And I'm not suggesting that Mallory Pugh should take this route. The best thing that could happen to Mallory Pugh is for the national team to say, you know what, we're not going to take you to the Olympics. We're not going to take you to any camps. You spend the year being a pro soccer player. Every week, play well, play every game, play well every game, and then we will get you back in. Like January camp 2022, you've got a spot as we get ready for the next cycle. But we're not taking you to tokyo and we're not gonna have you keep shuttling in and out we want to have you finally just be a soccer player now again if i'm mallory Pugh, i don't want to hear that i want to go to the
2: olympics yeah
1: but i think the best thing that could happen for her in the long term would be for her not to go to the olympics and just be able to play with the red stars play as often as she can as many minutes as she can
0: well and there's a lot of good points there because um with the delay of the Olympics by a year, it means someone not making the, this Olympic roster, it only means they're two years away from the next World Cup, right? It doesn't yep. mean three, three years away. It's just two years away. Um, you also have all of the, the travel issues. So I think that would be an even bigger factor than it would be normal, normally of everything a player has to go through when they leave you know, their club and rejoin their club. Now, I I still don't feel like most of NWSL teams are at the point uh, where the U S national team program feels that the players are better off left with their clubs. And that's not necessarily a diss on the club so much as we know that the U S women's national team has the best resources really of any women's club or of any women's national team. Um, and I feel like over the years we've been harsh on some players or either just blame their schedules on, well, this why, must be why they, they get hurt as often. I really feel like it's, it's a deeper reason. It's that because resources have been limited for women's football for so long, you know, that that trainer or the extra kind of who's your medical support or, you know, what advice are you getting from the medical side might not be the best available. Um, And I think that's why U S soccer has been like, no, we, we want the player. We want to take care of the player. And, and I still think we have that conflict between what does the club want and need? what does the player want and need? And then what does the national team want and need where on the men's side, it's very much, it's the player and his club, you know, and then they work with the national team here. Any of those national teamers is the player in the national team. And then maybe they work with the club, but I like that vision of, yeah, let the player rest, let the player recuperate, settle into a new club, I also feel like uh, Pugh being the first to skip college and go straight to NWSL, um, you know, sure she's got some maturity that other players that age wouldn't have, but that's still a big jump to leave home as a high schooler, not really having had the college experience and boom, you're a pro player um, in a city you've never lived in, you know, and you're considered to be the star and you're younger than everybody else you're playing with. Um, You know, I, I feel like, she might not have had the resources she needed at a smaller club like Washington Spirit or even Sky Blue, right? So
1: Chicago could be a really great place for her. And she got to Washington as that team was kind of falling apart. It was right mid twenty seventeen and they had been to the final in sixteen, but they never got they were never even decent again after that until last year when or twenty nineteen, I guess, when Richie Burke took over. So that was that, you know that couldn 't have been easy for a player like Mallory Pugh, but to your point in the comparison to the men 's game, what does it all come down to like everything else, it comes down to money because on the men 's side, the clubs are making these guys filthy rich, so of course they 're going to have um, loyalty to the club, even though yeah they want to play on the national team, but you know and it, of course, the national team and the NWSL clubs have kind of a dysfunctional relationship of sorts. Uh, but, you know, I, I I see what your point is about the national team having the best resources. And, you know, we just heard Vladko Andonovsky say that he was monitoring uh, Rapino and Lloyd throughout 2020, even though neither one of them have played anywhere since the She Believes Cup, which is 10 months ago at this point. Right. But uh, I just don't – I don't know. I don't know that I have enough faith – in the way U.S. soccer has kept the players going. And, you know, you look at players like O'Hara, who seems to magically get well for important national team games, but almost never when it matters for the club. But I don't know. I, do we think U.S. soccer has done a good enough job keeping these players healthy for 12 months a year? Or is 12 months a year too long? I mean, it's, you know, on the men's side, we always want to play more games, more games, more games. Do we need to play less games, for some of these players because they never get a break. You know, I always say, you know, if the fall games after the NWSL season like give Becky Sauerbrunn 6 weeks off instead of calling her out yeah. for these friendlies in November and nobody wants to do it and I you know again, back to money because they get paid by the match. You know, they get paid extra money when they play in matches. So I don't know. Do you think US Soccer's done a good enough job with it?
0: Well, I I think they do when they have the players, but I but I think they're kind of ignoring what the player, you know, the player's overall travel schedule, and that it can't all be about the national team camp. Like you're saying, like, hey, Becky Sauerbrunn doesn't need to come in for another pair of low level friendlies when you've just finished a world cup, right? Like obviously she's contractually uh, deserving of some of that or in some cases are obligated to that. But yeah, there, there are times where you could say, Hey, we're calling in other players like that, that December, 2019 ID camp where world cup players contractually had the month off, which is what you need. You've got to rest after a year like that. Right. Um, and so they had a camp that was others, You know, so you're helping develop the pool. Um, I like that the roster for the Netherlands game Uh, late November was a mix of World Cup players and some younger players and we're also seeing um, you know a little bit of that mix continue into this January roster so I mean I wasn't really surprised by anybody that was named in the January roster but I was pleased that it was a mix of the usuals with some fringe players starting to come in like Aubrey Bledsoe you know, as goalkeeper, Christy Mewis getting called in again, Sophia Smith getting called in again. Um, and then, of course, you have the the older names coming back in like Megan Rapinoe, Carly Lloyd. Um, Press was ill in December, so they're letting her recuperate. Heath has decided to remain with with Manchester United. Um, but it's you know, it's it, it's a mix of things. Um, what were your thoughts you know, on that on that camp list when it came out?
1: The same as yours for the most part. Obviously, Morgan announcing that she had COVID right before the roster came out makes the list of forwards look kind of thin because no Morgan, no Press, no Heath. I was struck by a couple of the names that were left off the roster, uh, you know, Pew being one of them. And remember when we left off back in the spring, Pew hadn't made, Right? she didn't make the She Believes roster, but she was with the team i think but didn't uh-huh. make the roster and i think and had given her some you know some things to work on but i you know the casey short thing just still baffles me you know i want to be in a fly on the wall when she talks to the national team staff and finds out why she can't make big rosters and why she's not getting called into these camps her name wasn't mentioned um You know, I know that some think she's over, you know, that I have her overrated. I think she's tremendous as a one-on-one defender. Uh, So that is one name that I'm curious about why she can't crack in on a regular basis. And uh, Christy Mewis, you know, if Christy Mewis continues to play the way she did in 2020, she is absolutely a mainstay through the next cycle. She was so good last year, and she looked so comfortable when she got on the field against the Netherlands late last year. Yeah. uh, I I would love to see it continue because I really think she is loaded with talent. I remember the first uh, NWSL game ever. She might have been playing outside back for FC Kansas City or maybe a winger in the midfield. She stood out within like two to three minutes about how good a player she was and then it kind of went sideways on her but um you know i spoke to her at some point last summer and she basically admitted you know i wasn't giving it my all i was you know i was cheating myself and and i I stopped doing that and it it absolutely shows and it would be it would be great to see the sisters start in the same midfield in in an important game at some point
0: yeah that would be so cool uh it's i think last time we saw that was what march 2014
1: did they start together back then? They
0: they may have in that one game, you know, that famous five three loss.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> the the Sermani bloodbath game. It's a great legacy to have. But I mean, they were on the field together, you know, the other day. But um, I'm also I'm kind of surprised also that Mewis uh, and Lavelle are on the roster because I, I don't I wasn't sure about the travel situation between Europe and the United States, but apparently they've, they've got it figured out. So they're coming in. That's a good thing.
0: One thing I was kind of hoping though, was since this is not a FIFA window, right? This is where I was kind of hoping, um, that we would treat it the way FIFA rules are supposed to treat it where, You know, your club doesn't have to release you. So I I would have been like, hey, you know, let Rose stay with Man City and, you know, Tobin stay with Man U and that kind of stuff.
1: And that you, you You know. you think that they worked that into their contracts when they went over there? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Because I remember asking both of them, Mewis and Lavelle, on their Zoom calls when they got introduced at Man City about camps. And I was asking more because of... COVID-19 which was I think the restrictions were even more so back then you know are you basically the question was are you giving up the chance to come to camp because you're going to be in England and you can't necessarily go back and forth and they were basically like now nah, we'll be available for any camp and I was like yeah right but apparently uh, they were right I was wrong but uh, I would not be surprised if when they went over there they said look you know I got to be there for the national team and You know, that's that's one of the. And honestly, if I were those teams, I'd probably have gone with it at this point. And not not forever, but for a chance to get Sam Mewis on my team at Man City, I'd, I'd, you know, what are you going to miss? Two games maybe? Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Like, I I don't see those clubs complaining. I just feel like it sets a precedent um, that could be a problem down the road. Similar to, you know, let's go back in time. Early 2015, Abby Wambach saying she's sitting out the end of your cell season. Yeah. We, we know that if it happened in any other sport um, that someone would be like, well, then you don't get to, you know, go to the big national team event that's coming up this summer. And yeah. so then three years later, when Kristen Press didn't have a club, Jill Ellis made a point of I'm not calling you into camp unless you're actively with the club training at the highest level because that's you know that's not how you build a team. So
1: one of the most important know. moments I think of Jill Ellis's coaching tenure certainly in the second cycle. The other names by the way on this list Rapino and Lloyd. Rapino is what 35 and Lloyd is 37 38. Neither Correct. one of them have played since March. You know Lloyd seemed like she was training to play for Sky Blue and picked up an injury. Nobody quite knows what the deal was with Rapino who got some TV time in the wobble that the WNBA put on. But I don't know. This has to, this is this the most important January camp of all time? Because you, you you know you can't just pick up at 35 and 37 and decide, all right, I'm back, I'm here, and I'm going to play, and I'm going to still be good enough to be on the national team. Now maybe they will be, but I don't think it's any guarantee. So I think both of them on some level are under the gun to prove that they can still play because there does come a time where you wake up in the morning and this is not the same as it used to be I, i'd no say it is a pretty either one of them
0: yeah i'd say it's a, it's it is a pretty important january camp but let's not forget that they also have probably a february camp as well, before he has to cut down the roster for the actual She Believes Cup games right. in late, late February. And that being said, I was really surprised but also pleased to see... That U.S. Soccer was able to schedule two friendlies against Colombia, so that there's a payoff at the end of this camp, right? And that there's really something that a lot of these players need to fight for. And I think Colombia is the right level opponent, right? This is not a situation where you want to be playing a Germany, a Netherlands, and England. You know, you you want um, you know a slightly weaker opponent because everyone's going to be. You know, coming off a holiday, out of shape, coming back from injury, you know, whatever. Vlaco um, mm-hmm. needs as much time as he can get to keep experimenting and also, you know, testing those players that you're talking about. I also wonder if having that year off for older players and not just Rapino and Loy, but also mm-hmm. Kelly O'Hara, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what 32 Sauerbrun 35 um he 32 press 32 uh any of that time i think that rest it, it is is huge right because it's oh, never absolutely. it's never strictly about the age i i like to tell people it's more about the mileage right you could be 35 but if you haven't been traveling hundreds of thousand miles every year and playing 50 games you know your body's in a different shape uh than no, the person who
1: has. everybody reacts differently to these things and you know what some maybe some of them get complacent with a year off and just don't get back into the groove again of yeah.
2: traveling yeah oh,
1: and, and also the, go any direction
0: and the tight turnaround between world cup and olympics we've always seen has been so, so tough, not just physically, but also mentally. So I would feel like a player like Rapino, that could be this time off could be really important in terms of, you know, refresh, refocus, um, you know, come back into it. Um, but like like you mentioned, and I think we even saw hints of this in Challenge Cup and a little bit fall series, uh, seeing some players who you could tell. Uh, you know, physically had not been training as much in the lockdown as as some of their teammates, right? Yeah, and no doubt about it. That's that's not a body shaming issue. That's your job.
1: And yeah. on the uh, Rapino and Lloyd front, I would say that when last we saw them, that Carly Lloyd clearly—I don't want to say slowing down because she might get mad at me—but you know, clearly she's not the prime Carly Lloyd who's going to play ninety minutes every game and whatnot. But I think she was still. Pretty solid in her role, whereas I think Megan Rapinoe, between the the end of the World Cup, or maybe during the World Cup, and that She Believes Cup in 2020 was tailing off a little bit. There were signs that maybe she was already starting to feel the mileage, so I don't think they're... I don't think they're both starting up from the same point, even though they're no, you know, not in at the all. same amount not of time. All. And again, maybe to your point, maybe Rapino then benefits more from the downtime. I don't think Carly Lloyd even wants half a day off ever. So, you know, I'm sure she trained and I'm sure they both did, but you know, I'm joking around about the Carly Lloyd persona thing, but uh, you know, maybe Rapino benefits more from it, who knows? But I don't think Rupino was as solidly on this team maybe as it you might think when you know we were in twenty early 2020.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because you know just to remind everybody, the Olympic roster of course is smaller than the World Cup roster. Uh, it's 18 instead of 23 because it's a shorter tournament. They still take four alternates, so there will be 22 players missing. Uh, you know that go with the team to Tokyo, but only 18 of those can actually play uh so you know i i kind of wonder with carly even if she's a player that Flacco feels he can use would she accept um you know not being a starter would she accept being being an alternate if it it means she's on the team you know that's 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 hard for any older player to deal with
1: i see zero benefit to taking her as an alternate unless there's an potential that there's actually an injury with a player ahead of her on the depth chart because she's not right. going to be there for the next Olympics. So, why? you know, I would rather take a younger player as an alternate That's just myself, which she accepted. That would be a lot of fun to find out if she was going to accept that. And remember, you, you know, you can't, as we saw with Rapino coming off the ACL on 16, you can't. Just waste roster spots, you know, there's no throwaway roster spots. And speaking of that, Macario is in this camp still not eligible to play, so nobody freak out when she doesn't make the game day rosters for the Columbia matches doesn't mean she had a poor camp. But let me ask you this question. since Vlacco's been there, I think the United States has been out of this world fabulous in terms of how they've played on the field. Would it behoove them to get beat before they get to the Olympics? Or in the group stage of the Olympics maybe? Um
0: I mean I I've said this in the past that yeah, you do benefit from losing sometimes. And I remember that 5-3 Algarve lost and that was one of my first podcasts. And I remember saying, hey, if anytime, you know, there's ever a time to get beat, this is now, right? Like mid-cycle in a game that, you know, means nothing. And I actually had some pushback, like, it's never a good time to lose. And it's like, no, there are games where it's like that game, like they started a lot of first timers or people, maybe it was their second cap. It's like, that's that's where you blood in those new players, right? That, and that's a risk you take, and that's fine. You know, that it's you know, your career shouldn't be on the line. Of course, that's a whole other discussion with then what happened with with Tom Sermani after that tournament. But I, I feel like that that's why Columbia is such a great opponent for the two friendlies, where you know it's it's a team that also won't be in really good shape, a team that plays differently. Um and, and there's no, you know, it's just friendlies, right. That they can even, if they did lose, it's like, Hey, you know, we've been on break, it's been COVID. Right. But they can learn from it. Right. Um, it's different. If it's different, once you get into, I think she believes or, uh, you know, Olympic first round, but I, I do feel there's always something you can gain from a loss. And when you look back at some of the U S history, like the 2008 Olympics, they lost their first game. And they came back and won the whole thing, right? You know, it's like we know that sometimes this team has dug itself a hole. But once they dig that hole, like they come back 10 times stronger. You know, you think about that Brazil quarterfinal, you know, in 2011. Uh, A lot of newer fans might not have seen these... Um, you know, these parts of their history, but it's definitely in their DNA. The older players have definitely shared it with the younger players. Um, I don't think you have to lose, you know, but I I don't think it's a risk to lose to have that, uh, that experience. Right. I think the challenge for Vlatko and any U.S. national team coach is, you know, how do you create the right challenges for these players at the right time? Because when you are the best at your game, you know, it's hard to find good opponents. And, you know, looking at She Believes, we know that, you know, England said last year they didn't want to come back. You know, France started doing their own thing, you know. So, uh, but but I think it's good for the tournament, right? So we get some different people. We get, uh, you know, Brazil's coming back, but I think we're going to get Canada, which I'm so excited about because even when Canada's not at their best, like, the history between those two teams just makes it a really great battle. And we know so many of the Canadian players because of NWSL.
1: Yeah, Canada's got to win some of those games, I think, for it to be as exciting as I would like it to be. But, you know, there is history, and as you said, we know the players. And it's good for Canada because they don't play enough, and they don't play enough good matches either when they do play but on the losing front you know there's that famous closed door scrimmage before the dream team left for barcelona in 1992 when the college kids beat the dream team and there's been this forever debate ever since about whether or not chuck daly threw that game the light of fire under the dream team who obviously ran roughshod through the olympics and were never challenged in that tournament but it you know that's a you know, it's one of these—you know—is it an urban legend or did it really happen? But they did lose the game. Nobody was in there to see it, so nobody really has any insight into it. But uh, you know, it's uh, you know talking about you know just like psychological ploys with your players. That's that's one to look back on. So I mean, I don't think they need to lose either, but I don't think it would be the worst thing if it happened.
0: Well, because you can gain so many uh, you know lessons and experiences right. and even
1: 2012 weren't they down to nothing at the olympics to france yes. in the first game Open. in like a half okay. hour
0: yeah. yeah so they That's didn't lose game the game they, yeah
1: they came down back and zero, won the game but
0: 42. yeah
1: yeah but maybe that had the same impact like whoa you know this is for real yeah
0: yeah and and like and hey it, it, it makes better watching right like um, and I know I am an outlier when I say something like this, but as exciting as it was for the U.S. women to win in 2015, to be at 4-0 after 16 minutes is not an exciting game to watch for the rest of the game, right?
1: Yeah, I've had debates about that, like, was it a great game because Carly scored the hat trick, or was it a boring game? And I would say it was a great It was a great moment, sort of, but I didn't yes. think it was a great game. I mean, I, walking into the stadium, I was expecting to be... Riveted in the 85th minute, instead of wondering like, where the you know how is he going to put Christy Pierce in the game and or how is she going to put Christy Pierce in the game and yeah, know, what is the celebration going to look like? Because I wasn't riveted at all. Once well, you know once Carly scored the the goal from midfield, I mean what else is there to watch?
0: Well, and 2019. 2019- Right. Nobody scores till the second half. It's pretty tense. Right. You know, and and then you get the the clincher with Rose's goal, you know, so that's more of a game where, like, you want to watch the whole thing.
1: Um, Even the Spain, even the Spain game in 2019, which I was not at, but watching on TV, like, you know, 75th, 80th minute. You're like, what? Could this happen? Like, could Spain actually pull this off?
0: Yeah. Oh that that to me that was the most intense game to watch right like i would say the closest they they became they came to to not advancing or that one you know could have gone to overtime but yeah like you want it to be close and and again i think that's why it's so tough but so important for us soccer to get the right teams right opponents at the right time And because of how qualifying works for the women's Euro and other competitions, you know, you can't just bring in whomever at any time. I I remember the 2018 spring friendlies against Mexico, and there were some people saying that's the best they could get. And when I checked the FIFA rankings, everybody ranked above Mexico was in the middle of World Cup qualifying that FIFA weekend. So, yeah, that was exactly the best they could get.
1: You know, the only thing that I don't like, and again, it's, it's COVID, so I get why it, it has to happen this time, the back-to-back games against the same opponent when it's a yeah. team that's not as good and not as fit, not as deep, sometimes the second game can be pretty rough because Andonovsky can pretty much change up everybody, and they're still going to be better than whatever the best is that Columbia has to offer. So hopefully Columbia can stay competitive in both games because those second games can be rugged.
0: Well, and I think we were starting to see the um, U.S. soccer move away from that. Like Vlaco's first yeah, few friendlies, were. you know, was what it uh, was. Uh, Sweden and then Costa Rica, right? So you actually had back to back friendlies that were not against the same team, but right, like yep. with, with with COVID, you can't you can't mix that many, that many teams. But there well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to to be cranky with me and also be you know positive about women's soccer too, um, and you know and for all the coverage you and the Equalizer guys put together. And I look forward to to all of your comments following the draft next Wednesday.
1: Well, I look forward to. Uh, I guess I have to watch your broadcast now because I'm yes, not going to at the draft. So, because every year you're like, "Well, go back and watch it and notice this," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." <laughs> now I got to actually watch it.
0: <laughs> and you and you can tweet snarky things at me while I'm uh, while I'm talking on the live broadcast. You
1: can Perfect. count on that. You can count And on I expe- that. and I
0: expect all the listeners to do the same too. All right, time to wrap it up at the back four first, foremost, and I keep saying it, but the draft broadcast is this Wednesday, January 13th, live on Twitch, starting 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. That covers all the time zones that have NWSL teams in it. Check out KeeperNotes.com for links to draft history, rules, worksheet, etc. Um, and I'll, I should be putting some more stat posts up there as well. And if you want to keep up with recent trades, player acquisitions, also, you know, who's on what team, because there's been a lot of movement lately and there's probably going to be a lot more as we get closer to the draft, even on draft day, uh, definitely you want to bookmark the Google sheet <laughs> that I have up at Woso Nerd Links on KeeperNotes.com that shows you NWSL rosters by club. And I'm almost finished putting together the 2020 NWSL Almanac, which will have all of challenge cup fall series uh, updates to the player registry more photos um, lots of great stuff you can pre-order it now if you go to keepernotes.com you can also buy the previous one at a discount or the challenge cup booklet i put together of course that challenge cup booklet is houston dash specific And last but not least, I'm so excited that we will have some U.S. Women's National Team friendlies this month coming up pretty quick at the end of their January camp, both games against Columbia Monday, January 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. And then Friday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Both games being played in Orlando. Limited tickets are available with social distancing and all kinds of you know protocols in place. Uh, if you want more info about those tickets or the game in general, check out ussoccer.com. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Jacqueline for the really sweet tweet last week about my uh, um, memorable 311th uh, <laughs> podcast. And many thanks as always to the Beautiful Game Network and to Sean for making this podcast possible.
2: But now she's everybody's